Would you join me as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. You may be seated. Little things can have a big impact. There's about a billion different ways I could illustrate this, but I was thinking about one situation where I was helping a friend do some electrical work. We're trying to, to hook up a, a spa that they had. And uh, I know just enough about electrical work from a previous lifetime that uh, I'm dangerous. And so we were, we were connecting everything and I had connected one of my own before. And so we're putting all the wires together. We had the, we had the hot wire, we had the neutral, we had the ground. Everything was just going perfect and according to plan. In fact, I had my tester and so I'm, I'm testing the wires and sure enough, uh, all the power is running to the spa like it's supposed to do. Uh, power's coming out of the main and we get it all hooked up and we hit the power and the panel on the spa comes on for a second and shuts off. The breaker doesn't trip in the box and 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 back and forth. I'm, we're double-checking everything, looking at all the wires. You know, everything's where it's supposed to be. And for some reason, it keeps turning on and then shutting back off. And I'm, I'm just befuddled. And so we were there for about probably an hour and a half. And, and, and eventually I looked at him and I said, I, I just, I don't know, maybe the panel itself is broken. It's getting power. And so the only thing I can think of is that the panel was not working, at which point I had to give him the bad news. You're probably going to actually have to hire a real electrician to come and figure out what's going on here. And, uh, and so sure enough, uh, about a week and a half later, he says, uh, well, the spa is working. And I said, all right, what was it? You got what, what on earth was, was happening? And he said, well, as we were attaching the wires without us noticing it, the neutral wire, just the one neutral wire was not going all the way and it had somehow gotten pulled out in everything that we were doing. We had thought that we had checked everything, but just that one wire not being connected kept the spa from being able to, to work. One small little thing had the biggest impact on the functionality of my friend's spa. And, and so I was glad now he's able to use it and, and enjoy it. But I, I, but I think about how sometimes the smallest things in your life and my life can have the biggest impact. In fact, everything else in our life, it, and specifically today we're going to be talking about the Christian life, it can seem like we're, we're engaging and, and we as the people of God are engaged in what we need to be. But today we're going to come and we're going to see in this passage that we just read, we're going to see one thing in particular that can have a tremendous impact on us living out the Christ-like lives that we have been empowered to live. Man, the worship this morning, the songs that were sung, I hope you listened 
And I hope you were paying attention because each one of them was proclaiming, was proclaiming some very simple and profound truths that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness and in need of redemption and reconciliation. But Jesus Christ has done that. And because he has... Did you hear the songs? There's a power in our life over sin. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. No condemnation. There is this new life that we have. And today's passage is going to show us, it's going to reveal to us one of the things that is a necessary part of this new life that we are to have. And so hopefully now you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be talking this morning about the impact of prayer. We're going to get to it, I promise, the, the, the main point of the message this morning. But first, we got to break down what it is that Paul is actually coming and saying to us in this text. Remember, he's writing to a church. He's writing to a church that he says in chapter 3, he said, I'm writing to instruct you that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's in chapter 3. And in the text this, that this morning that we heard read, Paul has hit upon one of the most significant things that we as the people of God must be engaged in and the thing that we must be engaged in, which must be part of our household, and part of our lives is prayer. In fact, broadly speaking, this entire chapter has the call to prayer. This is really Paul's heart. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Paul is coming in this text and he's telling us that we are to be a people who pray. We have the great privilege of prayer. Prayer, as we saw last week, we just looked at, looked at it broadly speaking, is this ability for you and I to communicate with God as one with whom we have an intimate relationship. That God is not distant from any one of us if we're in Jesus Christ, but that we get to talk to him in a variety of ways, about a variety of things, because he is our father and he cares about us. And so Paul says, do you pray? We're to be a praying people, but when you come to this text, you discover something. In, in verses 1 and 2, Paul gets a little bit more specific on the kind of prayer that needs to be a part of our lives. He doesn't just simply come and say, we should be a people who pray. That is the broad principle of this passage. He gets more specific in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it once again. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, thanksgiving, be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in what? High positions. Paul's instruction to Timothy and the church here is clear. The very specific charge, the specific call to prayer that Paul has in mind for us this morning is this. Praying people, that would be you and me, pray all kinds, pray for all kinds of people with all kinds of prayers. The kind of prayer that Paul is wanting to emphasize in this text that we as a household of God must have as a part of our lives is this kind of prayer. That we pray for all kinds of people with all all kinds of prayers. Let's just consider the first part of that statement, that we are to pray for all kinds of people. This is so significant 
and we're going to see why this must be a part of our prayer life. He says in that first verse, I urge that prayers be made for all people. The text says very plainly that we are to pray for all people. So then why do I say, though, that Paul is telling us to pray for all kinds of people? Doesn't all mean all without any exclusion? Isn't that what's being said in this passage? Like if Paul says to pray for, for all people, it doesn't that mean that we're supposed to pray for everyone? Well, Paul could be saying to you and I that it is the responsibility of every Christian, every Christ follower, to pray by name for every single person on the face of the earth. <laughs> Do you think that that is what he is saying when he uses the word all? Because that's where you'd have to go with this. I urge, and by the way, that urge isn't like, hey, let me help you along. That's a, I am commanding you, I'm calling you to pray for all people. So let's pull out our phone books. Actually, we don't have those anymore, do we, right? <laughs> that was an old illustration. All right, let's go on Google and let's just start praying. Is that what he's saying here? Is that what all means? All could mean that you're supposed to pray for everyone by name, but that's not the point that Paul's trying to make. All in this context isn't an all that refers to everyone without exclusion. The word all here in this passage means all kinds. Paul is telling us that we are to be a people who pray for more than just ourselves and just members of the church. We are to pray for those outside of the church family. We're supposed to pray for the non-believer. And this point is solidified in what he says next in the context of verse 2. I urge that prayers be made for all people. And then verse 2 says, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why does Paul all of a sudden single out kings and governing, ruling authorities. This is how we know that the emphasis of Paul calling upon us to pray for all kinds of people, that is people who are outside of the realm of our church, he uses this phrase, pray especially for kings and all who are in governing authorities, to help us capture that all means all kinds. Do not be singular focused in your prayers by just praying for you or those who look like you who are part of your church family. We as a people have to have an international and intentional prayer life that goes beyond the boundaries of the church. And here's why we say that. This is a fascinating thing, church family, that you would not catch because none of us were alive 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this letter. Did you know that people in the ancient world were highly discriminatory? Like we talk about racism today and those kind of things. Man, that existed way back then. And in many ways, in, in, in more severe and drastic ways than it exists today. If you were a Jew in Paul's day, you grew up going to the synagogue. And by the way, the church in Ephesus was made up of Jews who became followers of Jesus Christ. So if you were a Jew in Paul's day, you grew up going to the synagogue. And one of the things you did in the synagogue was you prayed. And you prayed all kinds of prayers in the synagogue. But one of the things that you never did, because it was not part of any of the traditional prayers that were prayed in the synagogue, was pray for government officials. There were no Jewish prayers in Paul's day that were prayed in the synagogues for government officials. They also, guess who else they didn't pray for? Non-Jews. 
Those were not prayers that were prayed in the Jewish synagogue. So think about this. Put yourself in their shoes. Why does Paul have to emphasize to the church to be praying for all people, and then he modifies it or he explains it by adding to it kings and all who are in high positions? Because if you were a Jew who became a Christian, you grew up in the context where it was a foreign concept for you to pray for anyone outside of your Jewish community. You didn't do it because those people were the persecutors. Those people were the oppressors. Those people were the unholy. They were the unclean. You didn't even eat with a Gentile. And so when Paul says, pray for all people, he is writing to instruct a group of people who would have, by nature, not thought it natural to pray for the world outside of themselves because that's what they were trained in. But now take the Gentiles. It wasn't just the Jews that would have had this roadblock that they would have to overcome to know that their prayer should be for beyond themselves. The Gentiles in Paul's day, if you were a Gentile who came to faith, you grew up in a pagan world, but that doesn't mean that they weren't religious. The, the Gentiles of Paul's day in places like Ephesus in particular, where they worshiped Artemis, or Artemis and, the, and the goddess Diana, listen, Part of their religious worship involved them praying, not just to pagan gods, but also praying not for, but to the emperor. To a Roman citizen, the emperor was a god, and so you prayed to him. Now all of a sudden you get saved, and there's only one king, and his name is, guess who? Jesus. So you don't pray to the emperor anymore. He ain't no god. But if you grew up your whole life engaging in pagan worship where you offered sacrifices for and to a government official, do you think it would have felt funky to even pray for that person? Because you had grown up praying to that person. Now to pray for that, I want to leave that world behind. I don't even want to mention their name, right? Do you, do you see how it wasn't easy for them to naturally think that as Christians, we should automatically pray for those outside of ourselves? And so this instruction was written because here's the point that Paul is wanting to make. He wants to make this point to them. Do not discriminate who you pray for in your prayers. We need to be a people who pray for all kinds of people, it's part of what we need in our life. It's why when Paul wrote to the Galatian churches in 328, he had to say these words, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. As Christians, we're not a people who discriminate. Those who came out of the Jewish faith, they struggled with this. There was a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And if you don't think that that was a struggle for the early Christians to be inclusive, those early Christians who were Jews, to be inclusive of Gentiles, Jesus' first followers, one of the pillars of the church, Peter himself, who had been functioning as an apostle, going throughout the world, proclaiming the gospel, who was called by God to go to the Gentile Cornelius and share the gospel with him, even Peter while he was having that ministry at one point, was not even eating with Gentiles because he was a Jew. He wasn't eating with Gentile Christians because he was afraid of other Jews and what they would think. 
This might not seem like a big thing, but it's, it's a huge thing that we are mindful that in our prayers, we pray for those who are not of the faith, those outside of our walls, and especially those who lead in government. Jesus was the first one to get at this when he said in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and what? Pray for those who persecute you. As the people of God, we're not to discriminate in our prayers. We're to be mindful of the world outside. We're to be mindful of those who are in high positions and that we are called to pray for them. Now let's just sit for a moment on what Paul is saying here, and especially on that reference to pray for kings and those who are in positions of authority. I've found that whenever I come to a passage like this, my heart is continually convicted. It's easy for me to pray for my family. It's easy for me to pray for the church family, for those things to be in my mind. It's easy for me to pray for the needs that I have in my life. It's, I find it easy to even pray for the community around us. But, but the idea of praying for our government leaders isn't always the first thing on my mind. Is it, is it at the top of your prayer list? <laughs> Or you're just like, let me start my day and let me pray for our president. Let me pray for vice president. Let me pray. I don't think it's an accident because, well, God wrote the Bible. I don't think it's an accident that he put that in there, not just to describe the kinds of people we're to pray for, but to also challenge our hearts to keep in mind that God has instituted in this world different spheres of sovereignty, different different. Um, parts of our world that God has designed, authority structures to help our world function according to his design. We like to think that government is a man-made thing. No, government is a God-made institution. In, in Romans, Paul talks about that God has placed governing authorities where they should be at that time and at that place for the good of society. And so, so we want to be in prayer for these people. And, and often, for us even today, sometimes those who are in those positions, those governing authorities, they don't always line up theologically with us. And they don't always put forth the laws that we would want them to, to put forth that would be for the, for the purpose of human flourishing and go in accordance with the word of God. In fact, if we are going to pray for them, let me tell you the type of prayer we typically pray for them. It'd be something like this. All right, God, you say that I'm to pray for the governing authorities. Well, here we go. Lord, would you bring your justice and wrath against our government officials and the people of the earth who are not your followers? Would you swallow them up like the sons of Korah? Would you remove them from the earth? Yeah. Oh, I heard an amen, right? Now, that's a prayer I'd pray. You know, the Bible has a word for that kind of prayer. It's called imprecatory prayer. It's, 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 we actually see some of those in the Psalms where we call upon God to, to bring about his justice and his wrath and his, and his judgment upon those who are not living in accordance with his will. It's not that we can't pray those prayers, but I'm going to tell you right here, right now, that's not the kind of prayer God wants you praying for your government officials according to this passage. That's not the prayer that, that God thinks... 
we will have a hard time praying, okay? And I can say that because Paul uses four different words to describe the type of prayers that we are to pray. And when we look at these four different words, we see that what he's trying to say is this, do not limit how you pray for them. Do not limit how you pray for all kinds of people who are outside of your realm. Not one of the words that is used for the type of prayer we're to pray for those who aren't of us in any way, shape, or form is encouraging us to pray an imprecatory prayer. Instead, we have the word supplications. Look at that. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Do you know what a supplication is? Paul uses these different words to express a bigger idea, but supplications is often used in, re- in reference to specific requests. Specific requests. When he says, I urge that specific requests be made on behalf of all kinds of people, do you know what you need in order to pray a specific request? You need specific information. You need knowledge of the one that you're praying for. And and so if I'm going to make a supplication for kings and those in high authorities, if I'm going to make a supplication for those outside of my immediate church family, I need to know what the, what the needs of those people are. In order to get a knowledge, that means there has to be, guess what? Some kind of engagement. We, do you see what he's implying here? You can't be far off. There has to be some acquaintance with this. With the people, with these authorities, I'm not necessarily talking about being pen pals with President Biden. I'm talking about just knowing, like, what's going on in the world. And then he comes and he talks about that we need to offer prayers. This is the word that is used throughout the scriptures to refer to just general requests. Unlike specific requests, we're called here to make just general requests. When you don't even, you know, he's like, hey, listen, just if you you don't have the specifics, that doesn't get you off the hook. Just, Just pray in general, for those people. And then this is the one that gets me. This gets me. This gets me. We're supposed to make intercessions. I pray that you would make intercessions. Do you know what an intercession is? An intercession is pleading on another's behalf. That's why I'm coming and saying Paul doesn't have imprecatory prayers in mind where you're calling upon God's judgment and wrath upon people outside of you. God is saying the type of prayer you're to pray for all kinds of people involves intercession, pleading on their behalf. Church family, if you're in Jesus Christ today, what is one thing, the number one thing you should plead for every single person who is not already a part of the church family. Their salvation. We're going to see it in verses 3, and we're going to look at it in great detail next week. The heart of God is that he desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you find yourself pleading with God on the behalf of those who are unlike you? If you're doing that, tell me that doesn't change you. Tell me that doesn't impact you. We're going to get to the impact in a minute. We've got to understand what he's asking us to do, what kind of prayers, and then we're going to talk about the impact. And then finally, oh, I mean, maybe these last two, why does he put these in the Bible? 
Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a prayer that we're to pray. Expression of gratitude. The expression of gratitude. Literally thanking God for the individual gulp. recognizing them as those made in the image of God, part of God's creation, part of God's plan. Did you know that? Every single person, part of God's plan. We are to be a people who pray for all kinds of people with all kinds of prayers. Those who are unlike us, Jesus says, even for our enemies, Don't just pray for judgment and wrath against them. Intercede on their behalf. Make requests to God on their behalf. Now, as God does over and over again in his word, when he speaks to us and calls us to do something, almost without fail, he always then shows us the why. You see, in this passage, here's now where we come to the impact of prayer. Look at why we pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Verse 2 says it. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Praying for all kinds of people has an impact on your life Paul says. He is connecting our prayer lives to a specific outcome. And what is the impact that Paul says praying in this way has upon the life of a Christian? Well, let's be clear first on what he's not saying. Paul's not saying that if you pray in this way, you will have zero trials in your life. Are you tracking with me on that? Because this same Paul wrote 2 Timothy 3.12 where he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hooray! (laughs) So when he says, pray this way that you may lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way, he's not saying that by praying this you will be spared persecution. So, so, So what's he getting at here? Because even Jesus himself said, in this world you will have, guess what? Tribulation, trials. So what's Paul saying? What Paul is saying is this. Here's here's the impact of prayer. Prayer produces in you an inner peace that leads to Christ-like actions. When we pray in this way, praying all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, it, it then works in upon our heart and in upon our minds in such a way that it leads to Christ-like behavior. To put it in the reverse, to say it another way, when we're not engaged in praying for others, as the text shows us, we become hindered in our ability to live in the fullness of our life in Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit of God. The power of God resides within us. We're freed, as we sang of, from the power of sin and of the flesh over us. We're a people who, by the power of God, are enabled to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And when we pray... 
In this way, it produces in us, it brings to bear that fruit of the Spirit in our lives and impacts how we live on a day-to-day basis. We see this when he says, so that we would live peaceful and quiet lives. The, the literal Greek here, I, I think the quiet lives, it loses something, <clears throat> in the, at least in this translation. The better way to translate it is that we would live peaceful and tranquil lives. What's Paul getting at? When you pray in this way, something happens deep down inside. Something works in upon your heart and your mind. You rest in, you reside in what Christ has purchased for you. You see, when you are praying in this way for those outside of yourself, here's what's happening. You are reminding yourself that God is in control. When we are praying for those outside of us and we're praying for government officials, when we're praying for those who would even persecute us, what happens is as we pray for them, we're going to the God with whom we have an intimate relationship and we are proclaiming that God, I'm asking things of you on their behalf because I know that they're not ultimately in control. As Proverbs 31.1 says, or 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord and he turns it whichever way he wills. Praise the Lord for that, amen? And it's not just the king's heart, it's your heart, it's my heart. When we are praying in this way, you are praying and therefore engaging God and you're being reminded, my God is ultimately in control. So much can happen in our world. So much changes from day to day. Anxiety gets stirred up within our hearts. We can be restless in our hearts due to what we see happening and what is being brought about in the world from those outside of the church. And so that's why Paul tells the Philippians, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with what? Prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. He got, in that sense, he got three out of the four that we've already talked about. We pray and we bring these things to God. And as we do that, Stillness comes because we're looking to the one who is in control. How do we live a peaceful and tranquil life in our souls? It's not saying, listen, this is not the absence of trials, but it's as one is going through those things, there is a stillness and a rest in my soul and in your soul. There is an unshakableness that we experience because we are looking to the God who's in control of all people, including ourself. What a great comfort this is. Do you see why just this one little thing can have a huge impact on you? Are you restless this morning? Are you anxious in your heart and mind? One of the things that you might want to check, like I didn't check that neutral wire, (laughs) is this aspect of your walk with Christ. Am I engaging in, am I lifting up in prayer those outside of myself? When I see everything falling apart around me, am am I being intentional in my prayers? You see, because here's the next truth. As we pray... 
you are reminded that only God is able to bring about change. It's not just that God is in control, but only God's able to bring about change. We, instead of grasping for control, trying to change the situation in our own power. And I'm not saying that we don't engage and that we don't promote justice as the people of God. But the emphasis here is on the inner person and how you behave on the outside. Is there, as you look to potentially take certain actions, is there a peacefulness and is there a tranquility of soul? Or is there anger and is there frustration? Are you living, as he says, a godly and dignified life? When people look at you as you do whatever you do in the world, are they able to say, there is a, there is a Christ-likeness in that person. Their behavior is one that does not respond to sin with sin. They are rising above the rhetoric and, and the commotion around them. They're not responding in kind. When we're focused in our prayers... And we're praying for those outside of ourselves. Paul says the result of this, the fruit that will begin to be produced in you is there will be this peace and tranquility of spirit that will manifest itself that when you are called to engage, you engage in such a way that you can only be described as godly and dignified. See, when you pray, you're reminded that only God is able to bring about change. And so you won't believe that yelling and screaming above the crowd, calling names, hurling threats will bring about change because only God can do it. And so you and I can walk in the Spirit's power and in its fruit. This, my friends, is the impact of prayer that it has upon us. But there's one final thing. If that were not enough motivation... <laughs> If the idea of having a peace and tranquility in my spirit that manifests itself in Christ-likeness wasn't enough, well, verse 3, and like I said, we're going to look at these verses next week in fullness, but look at what verse 3 says. Paul, he ties what comes next with what comes before. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Church, what's good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior? Well, it's everything that he just said before. Praying all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people so that we are living out our new life in Christ. Those two things, not one, not the other, but both things that as we pray for others, we are a living testimony of who Jesus Christ is to the world. And Paul says, this is good and this is pleasing to your Father in heaven. Look at what he goes on in verse 4 to say, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, he says, I was appointed a preacher. That's the gospel. And an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. What's the second impact of prayer? You are doing that which is pleasing to God. <laughs> That's what Paul says. 
The impact of this kind of prayer, praying in this way, is that it pleases God. Because as you pray in this way, and as you live in the new life that Christ has purchased for you with his blood, as that then is put on display, God desires the lost to come to a knowledge of who he is. And when you walk out in the world displaying a godly life, dignified in every way, that, friends, that solidifies in the world the testimony of what the gospel can do to a person. And Paul says it is right and good. This is good in the eyes of God that this would be what your life displays because the desire of God, the heart of God is to ultimately see the gospel go forth and men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation come to proclaim Christ as Lord. And it all goes back to how you and I pray. These types of prayers can have a huge impact. Church, if your witness for Christ in this world is aided through prayer for people outside the church, would you not want to engage in that? If I can be helped by the Lord through my prayers for others to live a godly and dignified life, God's word is coming to you and it's coming to me and says, don't forsake it. Don't be doing all these <clears throat> other things and engaging all this and forget this one little thing because it's actually a huge, huge thing. Last week and this week, we've tried to come and we've been looking because God's word says it. As God's people, we are to be a praying people. And I want to encourage us once again to hear this and not just be hearers of the word, but be doers to put this into practice. Last week, I introduced to you this prayer guide as a way to, to help you think about engaging in prayer. There's even ways in which in this prayer guide, it helps you to know how do I pray for those outside of the church? How do I pray for the lost in my community? How do I pray for government officials? We want to be known at Valley Center Community Church as a church that prays because God's people are a praying people. And last week, it blessed my heart so much to see this. We also gave you the opportunity to put in a prayer card where others could pray for you. And, and if you didn't get the opportunity to do this last week, I would invite you this morning. You're hearing us pray about those outside the church. We're also called to pray for those inside the church to fill out one of these cards if you want somebody praying for you over the next 28 days. And to put this card, there's a basket in the back. When you put your card in, what are you supposed to do? Take a card out, right? All right, there's some, there's some in there. And so I would invite you to do that. The, the prayer cards are not in your bulletins this morning, but they're in the back right by the prayer cards or by the prayer booklets. And so we would want you to engage in this. What God can do in an individual life, what God can do in a church when we engage in prayer, God's word tells us it's a powerful, powerful thing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow with me right now. We're going to pray. We're going to put this into some practice. And church, I'm going to pray. But I don't mind if you just block me out while I'm praying and you do what I'm doing. And my prayer right now, it's going to start by praying for us, but then I'm going to expand it beyond us. For our community and for those who are in government positions, and as I do that, if the Lord leads upon your heart to pray for them, I'd invite you to do that too. But let's go to the Lord. Father, 
We start by calling upon you as Father because that is who we are. Adopted as sons, adopted as daughters into your forever family through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so when I look out at my church family, Lord, they are exactly that. They're my brothers and sisters purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to embrace the work of Christ and not our works. Help us to live in the power of Christ and not our own power. Help us to be a people who are daily reminded of what you have done, bringing us from death to life. Help us to see ourselves as these new creations who no longer are condemned, but are set free and loved. And Lord, as we think about what you have done for us, Lord, we think about Valley Center. We think about San Diego. We think about California. Lord, we recognize that our friends and our neighbor, many of them have not yet walked in the fullness of the forgiveness and the redemption that is theirs in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we intercede on their behalf. We intercede and we pray, Lord, that they would come to a knowledge of Christ and of a salvation so sweet and of a life, Lord, that they have never known because it is only found in Christ and Christ alone. But Lord, help us to be a people that don't just keep that here within our own state or within our own country, Lord. There are men and women around the world who are suffering and who do not have a knowledge of the truth. Lord, I was convicted in my own heart and mind this week as the Olympics are taking place in a place like China, Lord, that, that in my heart and mind, I, I think about, Lord, the government officials in China and, and Lord, my, my heart is to pray an imprecatory prayer because, Lord, they have treated their people and they have disgraced the image of God in humanity there. But, Lord, there's 1.4 billion people in China, Lord, who do not have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's trying to be thwarted and be put to the side. Lord, that's representative of so many other nations, Lord. We want your gospel to burst in. We want the light to shine in the darkness. And that from, Lord, the lowest person, Lord, to the highest government official, that they would repent and they would turn from their ways and that they would believe in the power of the gospel to save. Because, Lord, if it can transform my life, it can transform any life. No one is beyond your power to save. And so, Lord, as we think about those people there, we also think about those who lead us in our country. Lord, you have given the sphere of sovereignty to the government officials here in America for our president, for our vice president, for our members of Congress and the Senate, Lord, for our Supreme Court justices. Father, apart from your wisdom and apart from your mercy, Lord, they cannot lead according to your ways. And so, Lord, if there are any of them that do not know you, Lord, may they know you, but may they not just simply know you as Lord and Savior, Lord. May they truly walk in your ways and institute laws that are consistent with your design for this world. And Lord, help us to be now a people who do not just keep this to ourselves, but who are mindful of the world around us and pray in these ways, Lord, because it's what you call us to. And it cultivates in us that peace and tranquility. It moves us to live in such a godly and dignified way, Lord. And so we pray and we ask all of this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen and amen.